Bart, I've asked you not to whistle that annoying tune. everybody and welcome back once again to Simpsons is greater than a podcast all about everyone's favorite nuclear family and I'm sure by now you know who I'm talking about the Simpsons as always I'm your host Warren better known to some of you as Bart of Darkness you might know me from my Simpsons collection over on Instagram or Twitter. Be honest, it's great, isn't it? Go ahead and say it's great if you want to. But if not, you know the deal when you're done with this episode, or right now, if you want, I don't really care, go check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. We can be friends. It will be great. So at the end of the last episode, I said that we had an awesome guest coming up, and as usual, I was not lying. You should know by now that I would never lie to you guys. This week... Brandon and I sat down with none other than Matt Selman. He's been writing on the show since 1998. He's been co-showrunner with Al Jean for the last few years, and he even wrote some of your favorite Simpsons video games. A little game called Hit and Run. Have you ever heard of it? We had a blast talking to Matt about some recent classics like Lisa the Boy Scout, Treehouse of Horror 33, but also we talk about continuity, food, the Jaguars, lots of other stuff, so let's just start it now. Episode 69. Let's go. No, trust me, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the Halloween episode. Um I'm tell- I I have not been able to shut up about that thing for days. Oh, so. good. I'm so happy you guys like it. Yeah, come that on, That was man. so, so good. I love it. How was your Halloween, Matt? Did you do anything fun? Did you dress up? I flew from Boston to Los Angeles on a flight and watched the Ghostbusters Afterlife and watched Bull Durham. <laughs> nice. Two randomly selected movies from the Delta Comfort Plus section of films. What did you uh, what did you think of Ghostbusters Afterlife? I felt like here's my guess. Jason Reitman's a talented writer director. I feel like he turned in like a three hour movie with lots of heart and emotion and like like story connective tissue, and that it felt like all of it just got ripped out for the last act, and it was just a race to an end, so that a fake Harold Ramis could show up. And everyone would wipe away a tear. And I feel like <laughs> I could just sense behind the scenes there were horrible arguments that Jason Reitman lost mm. about adding actual kind of family storytelling to the kind of a in a classic '80s movie kind of style. Instead, like, nope, we're just gonna fight a bunch of crazy stuff and kaboom, the Ghostbusters are there. <laughs> the end. Yeah, that's what I felt. So I felt bad for Jason Reitman that. Probably there was a gooder version of that movie that only exists in a computer somewhere. It's a classic sort of uh, fight between you know producer and a writer. They they have a <laughs> checklist of things that they want to they want to hit you know those nostalgic moments and all of that. And yeah, they definitely hit the moments. <laughs> I've not seen it yet. I need to watch it. 
Well, now I've spoiled it a little bit. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm I'm so behind on so many things, and I didn't watch nearly enough spooky stuff. I finally polished off that uh, Guillermo Guillermo del Toro uh, oh, show last night, which I I'm thought so that was very fun. It. There were a few episodes I didn't love, but I think it's cool that every single episode of that, all eight of them, could have been a movie, and they're all like an hour long. So they did a cool thing with that. I will check it out. Yeah, it's worth a watch. It's worth a watch. Also, I tried to download pre-download some game of thrones is on hbo max on my ipad did not work when i turned opened up the <laughs> ipad hbo max so your downloading system is faulty yeah it's awful that's like i've had the same problem happen multiple times i feel like anytime i queue up downloads on any of those streaming apps i run into that same problem where the first two download and the rest are like oh try again and i'm already on the plane it's like every time with that <laughs> i was flying on american and they have uh Red Zone, you know, the football Red Zone channel? Yeah. Familiar with that? It's like just all like the most exciting part of every game, no commercials. Right. And so then like, you know, the you, but then you lose the signal at parts of the flight and you just see every man on the flight is just hitting the, their screen at the same time and refresh, refresh. You just look back, <laughs> everyone, every dude is just only watching Red Zone, refresh, fresh refresh you take off your headphones it's just a cacophony of click 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 clicks <laughs> <laughs> i am literally so i'm a jaguars fan because i live in jacksonville and so i we wouldn't even be on there <laughs> would occasionally be on there. yeah once in a while just for trevor lawrence to throw an interception i love you trevor but i mean it's getting out of hand i mean give him another year yeah we made some big moves today we just picked up calvin ridley so I'll take that. If he can stop betting on games. Can we do a sports <laughs> podcast? Should we do an impromptu yeah, uh, you know, trade deadline football podcast? That that's one hundred percent what this is now. This is about the Jaguars and, and the Rams. I have nothing to contribute to this conversation. Yeah, Brandon doesn't Brandon doesn't care. So <laughs> there you go. fraud or was it a fluke that he won? Was it a magical fluke that he won with the Super Bowl? I will say if he doesn't start throwing a chair at Trevor at halftime, it might have been a fluke. I want to believe in him because I like him, but he's not getting he's not getting Trevor fired up enough. But I think Trevor's going to be really good. All right, that's my Jaguars talk. <laughs> Welcome back to Jaguars talk. <laughs> yeah. Daily podcast about bars and all things Florida professional football. Oh my God, that, that would be, that would take way too long to talk about. Well, Matt, I want to, you know, sort of officially start it by saying, first of all, just thanks for taking the time. I mean, I've, you know, you've been on my list of people I wanted to talk to on this podcast since I started it two years ago. So I appreciate you just coming on and, and hanging out with us for a little bit. It's gonna be great. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm very impressed by your collection of, of, uh, Simpsons stuff. So that's for sure. Uh, well, you know, I try and Brandon's got some books back there, but he's, you know, he's got some stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> so I do start with sort of a, like a sincere question. So if you strip it all down and you take everything away, how are you? Like, you know, outside of work, outside of Halloween, like, how are you? Just like, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm, I'm sort of riding high. I feel good about this show we aired on Sunday. You know, I've worked you on should. for a long time and I never got to kind of write or produce a Halloween show before. And I did along the way, I did the Thanksgiving of horror, which was sort of a version of a Halloween show. And we did Halloween of horror, which I think is another even oh. more interesting version of a Halloween show. I, I recently said that that's probably in my top 15 
of the entire of which I which is a big claim, but I mean I, Halloween of Horror is so good. I've talked about that thing countless times. Anytime we crack the top one hundred, I'm I'm overjoyed, <laughs> over the moon. Uh, and you know, and it, it's it's just you know the way I work with my team of of writers and collaborators and our team is you know I really delegated a lot of this show to Carolyn Omine, who's another amazing veteran, and I want to give her like you know full credit. Amazing. She deserves way more credit than me, like for saying we should do Death Note and and for the Baba Duke thing. Definitely those two segments. She like wrote, produced the heck out of those. And I just kind of said, this is great. Let's do that. And chipped in a little bit along the way. But, you know, it was really her thing. And then, you know, we said we did the third one together, like as like kind of, you know, we partners more. But she also made the third one great as well. And the but like, I mean, I did. I guess I had the good sense to say, yes, we should do Death Note. Yeah. I, you know, I, I could sing Carolyn's praises uh, for the remainder of this podcast. She was like episode 12 of this podcast. I barely even knew what I was doing. Uh, she is just the sweetest person, the funniest person. Uh, so, you know, anyone that doesn't realize how many heaters Carolyn's name is on, that's, you know, I always try to mention that. A lot of heaters. Yeah. And, um, and I guess, you know, I, we, I mean, we saw it. We saw the show in front of an audience at the premiere party at Universal. So I got a giant outside screen. And like, I'm always a little, you know, nervous seeing, you know, it projected in front of a live audience when the <laughs> audience is also distracted by being at a party and there's food and you're outside. And like, you know, we don't, we don't audience test the shows. And then, but then to show it in front of us, attentive but distracted audience and you could feel even outside at a theme park people were scared worried you know moved like with they were following the story they were with the story and that's like you know when you in, in tv you don't really have that very often in movies you show it to audience a thousand times and you fine-tune that although Maybe not with Ghostbusters Afterlife. <laughs> but with this, you know, it was like, wow, okay, our little movie actually connected with our audience. And that was thrilling. I do have to say the uh, the Baba Duke parody actually, like I was watching with headphones on and it actually, the, the sound design was really great. And it really spooked me for a moment. I was like, I'm actually spooked by a treehouse of horror a little bit. That movie yeah. scares the shit out of me though. Oh, so. <laughs> Babadook is terrifying. I've, I've said this, that those kind of things scare me more than like, you know, gory movies. It's very yeah. psychologically Psychological. bothering Love to it. me. I'm too scared to see it. I never saw it. Oh my God. I'm mad. I'm telling you, it's, it's, <laughs> that's how checked out I am. <laughs> it's so it's so creepy well you know it's um, i love that that's how you're feeling i'm glad that you're riding that high because that's honestly you know we're recording this just a couple of days like you said after that aired and we're talking very unique segments lots of fan service um and you know i i gotta give a shout out to rob oliver too another another heavy hitter on the team directed beautifully his whole team just really killed it um and kind of like what we were talking about before we started recording is Simpsons World. You know, when I talk about fan service, one of my favorite things that Treehouse has ever done, bar none. So I want to know like how that idea fell into place and, and how quickly it sort of came together. You know, I'm going to call it a miracle that I had remembered that I wanted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I knew I wanted to, because whenever... Matt Groening says he has a rule we can't break. I always take that as like a challenge. Right. <laughs> like, well, then that could be an episode. Like, 
so he said, I never want to see Bart and Lisa as teenagers. So I did, we did that show future drama where they were like teenagers. Oh yeah. Now we're, now it's already like 12 years past. when that. <laughs> so that one, I just was literally an idea that like, I must've written down and had, and I wanted to break Matt's rule. The other rule, which is the Simpsons can never know that they're a cartoon, that they can never know that they're IP. They don't, they're not like self-aware like that. Of, you know, he really never wants us to do that. Even in like ancillary stuff, like commercials, <laughs> or, you know, even in like theme parks or stuff that isn't the show. Right. Although we, we kind of fudged that, <laughs> but this was like, okay, this is to me, they, this is the one Simpsons that takes place in most the real world of any of the 735 episodes that in theory, this is earth in the future where people have all kinds of skin, but no Simpsons yellow skin. <laughs> they have five fingers. So that's like, and then, and then the Simpsons is a cartoon. And in this version, it's the, it's whatever, 200 years in the future where they never stop making it. And the technology evolved to make soup, ultra immersive theme parks that somehow people can afford to go to <laughs> <laughs> and they exist. And I think, as I said on Twitter, I probably that Simpsons World immersive theme park would be a million times more popular than Westworld. Oh my God. Yeah, of course. I would go. <laughs> if I could afford it, I yeah. would go. Come on, I'm saving my money for it now. Westworld, okay, on a practical level. <laughs> Let's get into it. Yeah. Westworld never breaks, okay? It's still very dangerous. Sure. You could fall off a horse. You could have a serious back or knee injury or head injury. There's no way Westworld can protect you against that. No, you're getting ran over by a train day one. Right. And, then, <laughs> yeah. and the gun, they never explain the gun technology for me. And then they, that does you know, not make sense to me either. I'm, I'm a fan of the show, but that does not make sense to me. <laughs> then, so that, that's a problem. The second problem is you're seeing realistic murders all the time super real and yeah unless you're already a murderer hopefully you are not that is that will that is like a traumatizing ptsd thing that will stay with you forever easily yeah what'd you do on vacation i got traumatized and i need therapy now <laughs> it's complete nightmare and then then the third problem is what if the robots become alive and start killing you yeah, I mean it's it's just insane. So if there were a Simpsons version, that would yeah. be, I mean that's that's truly I, I think it would be a little something like what we see. And I want to know uh, were there any other front runners for that opening scene? I really do think monorail is the perfect one. I literally said it out loud with the douchebags on the monorail. Yeah. Uh, but were there any other ones that that you guys discussed trying at the top? I think no. Carolyn was like, we got to do. Bitey. <laughs> I remember when I was in college and I was just a Simpsons fan, like in 1993, when that show aired, or 92 maybe. Um, I remember thinking that was one of my favorite lines, but it's not maybe one of the most like alcohol, the cause of and solution to all life problems level of fame. Right. Lines, but it's a really super fan, beloved line, deep, not deep cut, medium cut. <laughs> I don't. I feel like it took us in in a really clean way. To uh, I mean, I think Monorail is maybe one of 
the most beloved episodes if you look at lists of things. I mean, yeah, definitely like like Monorail. You know, maybe like people love the Pucci show, the Frank Grimes, the the Bill and Josh. You know, top five are always up there. Sure, but then there's also you know Last Exit to Springfield, Mr. Plow, Monorail. Maybe are probably the Homer at the Bat. Maybe are kind of the I don't know. Yeah, no, it de- it definitely it makes sense. It, it definitely just worked. And the moment it started, I will say, you know, I, I was that that meme of that guy with his jaw on the ground. I was just like, what are we doing here? What is this going to be? <laughs> it really caught me off guard. It really did. Even with the poster, I wasn't ready for it. Yeah, the post the poster designed by our amazing uh, Julius Priet. Oh yeah, who does all our like professional outside art for promotions is uh really kind of nicely hides what's happening. Yeah. People didn't even know it was Westworld. They thought it was some other Disney movie that I'd never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> Something beyond tomorrow or mm. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I it, it clicked with me immediately. I mean, the name gives it away, but like whatever. I mean, some treehouse has sort of been that where it's kind of like three things. So there you go. That's fine. I mean, I I could have done a 22-minute episode of that premise. I could have done a 90-minute episode of that premise. I could have done, I could have done a movie of that. <laughs> well, I, I would have loved it if you guys had that kind of it kind of ties into something I wanted to ask you. Um, the Simpsons have done such a great job of like evolving with the times, but also maintaining the like ineffable Simpsons feel and quality. How do you kind of walk the line between maintaining that Simpsons feel, but also evolving with the world? And is that something that you actively think about when you're, um, you know, show running and also writing? Um, it's it's a great question. I mean, it's a little hard to like keep in your head all the time the most important thing is like to me is like are the characters behaving like the characters Hmm. and are the is the story interesting and new in some way and it can be interesting and new in a lot of different ways and obviously we're gonna some elements and will of course be repeated many times but i really don't want people to say Oh, they did that before. Like, like we've done more than one heist episode. I think <laughs> heist is a big enough genre that you can do more than one heist, and each heist was a different take on heists. Right. You know, we did. We've done more than one. We're doing we another hockey show coming up, but it's it's about Mo and Nelson. Show about them, and like the Simpsons are more in the background. I like that. That's so, always fun. About Nelson kind of learning to be a hockey goon. <laughs> so I, you know, it's me that's we, we're allowed to do more than one hockey episode as long as it's a different emotional journey different character experience i mean i do think the tone of the show is different than the original tone i mean i do think it has evolved and we've done all kinds of stories super crazy ones super small ones super conceptual ones super broad ones you know ones that were worked really well some that are a little goofier you know and like but I do think the reason, hopefully, it still feels like The Simpsons is because, well, for one thing, the great animation style. Another thing, the great acting from our great actors. You know, just always trying to keep in mind this is like the core of who these people are. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes Homer is a little more nice. Sometimes <laughs> he's a little more stupid. Sometimes he's a little more thoughtful. Yeah, I'm but, also all those things on a I day-to-day mean, basis. <laughs> yeah, I do think it's important to keep him angry and quick to anger and gullible and lazy. Like I do think it's really important to have Homer have those, those attributes, but I do think showing him as a 
thoughtful guy who actually does sort of has couple, learned a little bit about being a husband and a father in his weird Groundhog Day existence right. is okay as well. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned, you know, Halloween of Horror. That's a great example of that. He, you know, he's very, he's very endearing in that episode. He's very sweet to Lisa. He helps her a lot. So I, I like seeing all those different sides of Homer. And and we actually, you know, uh, when I brought Brandon onto this podcast, we started doing different types of episodes. We started doing a couple of deep dives, but we weren't just going in order. And one of the ones that we did recently was one of your episodes, The Clown Stays in the Picture, which is a, a great modern episode. And we talked a bit in that about how you came to the show and when you started working on the show. But I want to dig into that just a little bit more. Like, how did you end up on the show? And, and you know, aside from being a fan before, how did that journey sort of uh, happen for you? You know, it's, it's just the crazy, chaotic pinball machine of, of existence. Doesn't really <laughs> seem fair or I just can't believe it happened. It just... Um, I don't know. It's so crazy. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it just was like, maybe I will say like the, the generosity and open spiritedness of George Meyer and Mike Scully. There was a writer, another writer who believed in me as a young guy named Maria Semple, hmm. who was just a terrific writer. And she became a very, very prominent novelist. And she used to be a TV writer and, one of the smartest, funniest people, and most observant people about human nature you're ever going to see. Wow. And, uh, you know, just they, you know, it was like they just kind of like believed in me as someone who could kind of maybe contribute to this unbelievably classic, iconic thing. And so they just let me get the foot in the door and they were patient with me. And eventually, you know, I kind of got the hang of it and was given time to learn to how to contribute. And boy, have I contributed since then. Oh, dude, Matt, I mean, you really have. I mean, come on. Like, and, and that's why I'm always curious. Credits, dude. Right. Yeah, over I apologize credits. for my contribution to the show in advance. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally why I like to ask that question, not only, you know, to just writers on the show, but people who have had such an impact as yourself, because, you know, I'm always curious, like, did you, did you always know you wanted to write? Did you always know you were kind of funny? I'm always curious to see how those things sort of come together for people. Well, I don't. It just, there was like this dream in the 90s of, of the job of TV writer. And I think it became like something you knew about and you wanted to do. And it seemed like a fun, goofy job. And you never really, and at the same time, maybe sitcoms were not really respected up until like, say, when like Seinfeld and The Simpsons and Friends. Sure. Came out. I mean, there's there always Cheers and Murphy Brown and classic shows, but it wasn't this. There was no careerism. I, I was at the beginning of what you would call the careerist television generation writers, and now I don't know what what generation. It's definitely still careerist, but now there's a hundred million shows, and they come from everywhere. And to, there's the people come from TikTok. They come from improv. They come from. They still come from Harvard. They <laughs> not go to Harvard. But, you know, they, they come from all these, you know, different avenues. And as, as much as television has expanded to have so many different kinds of shows, the talent pool has more than expanded to fill it. And it's still as crazy and competitive and unfair as ever to any people. To why careers happen and why they don't. Right. When I, in the 90s, when I was doing it, it was like, I was at the beginning of an era where people were sort of saying, well, I'm not going to go to law school. 
I'm going to become a TV writer and use my brain that way because it's less unfun being a lawyer. <laughs> but there was definitely a, a wave of like overeducated sort of professional nerdy people who sort of said, wait, this is a good gig. And I just won the, I just won the lottery. You know, I won the Simpsons lottery. But I like to think that I gave a little back. Oh, you did. You did. Absolutely. I'm not fishing, guys. Not fishing. <laughs> no, no, no. You you fish away. I mean, even if you're not, I'm just, I'm throwing it in. It's fine. You've uh, <laughs> you've been the co-showrunner with Al Jean for a little while now. Uh, there's so many skills required to be a showrunner that are just very different than your regular writing skills. Uh, how was that transition to showrunner for you? And was it what was surprising to you about the transition? Um, what's sort of interesting about it is, I think I have a TED talk in me about this. <laughs> we're going to workshop it here that let's yeah. do it yeah give it to me most people when they're when they become a showrunner it happens so fast they don't they have to learn on their feet they either create a show and they're doing it they've never done it or they've risen through the ranks of a show very relatively quickly like in two or three years and then they're doing it or they've done it before a thousand times and they're like a veteran whatever but for people doing when you first get it when it first happens, it's usually very fast. I was given so many years to slowly learn the craft of it. Like I was, I was show running two a year in the beginning, starting <laughs> with the ones, the food wife and uh, the book job. Mm. It's like, well, if I only get to do two, I'm going to do two ones that are like super crazy. One is about food, which I love and the culture of food. And one is one was about another sort of a heist. <laughs> yeah, we've done we've done a lot of heists. A lot of heist. I mean, a heist is a good time. Come on, I love a heist movie. And Rick and Morty did that like anti heist, <laughs> heist hating, like heist suck, like heist diminishing episode. It was like I felt stupid and heartbroken, but that was a great. <laughs> but uh, you know, I just had two that I could kind of practice on and take a lot of time to really work on and and figure stuff out. And I had a lot of support and then, you know, slowly doing more every year and more and more and learning to delegate and learning and like getting way more involved in budgeting and like, Oh wow, if I'm doing more. These have to come in on under budget. You know, I can't just shoot the moon on these things and hope it evens out. I have to like really with, especially with Disney, like earn their trust, their accounting trust. <laughs> uh, here's our retake budget to make fixes to an episode. Like we're not going to go, we're not going to go over this guys. So I don't know. I use the metaphor. Like when you're trying to get an episode ready for to, to air and do the final tweaks to like, make sure the story is clear and the jokes are funny and correct any mistakes. It's like going to the grocery store and like, all right, let's put everything we want in the cart. There's the rib roast, the fancy cheese, right. the expensive fruit, whatever. But then we we don't have enough money. We get to the cash register. We're we're gonna sit there and take <laughs> stuff out. Like that would happen with my mom when I was a kid. Sometimes we wouldn't have enough money. Right. And just like oh shit, and we would have to sadly, humiliatingly take stuff out of the grocery cart and just get the essentials. And that's sort of like what producing is. Like all right, we're n- <laughs> <laughs> no, no steaks with gorgonzola cheese tonight. We need, <laughs> we need mac and cheese to make it all make sense, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're skipping. We're skipping the the steak. We're doing a lasagna, you know. We're, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna tone it down. Lasagna. 
everyone understands lasagna. People will never know they didn't have steak. Right. <laughs> I mean, I would argue there's few things as good as lasagna. I mean, a, a good lasagna, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm eating on that for days. You know, those like gluten-free lasagna noodles, actually lasagna are pretty good. Yeah, now, yeah. Now it's a food podcast, guys. Yeah, it's a food podcast now. Oh, I can contribute to a food podcast. <laughs> uh, those gluten-free lasagna noodles, they don't turn to mush, you know? Yeah. So they, they have a nice toothsome quality. And they, I like a chewy crust on lasagna. I don't Me like too. mush. So try those gluten-free noodles. You know, I don't like it when lasagna is too gloopy. Yeah, no, I I actually believe you. And I will say, like, uh, gluten is, is I love gluten, but there are some gluten-free things that are pretty impressive. I don't know if you've ever seen those Sweet Lauren's cookies. Those are somehow gluten-free, and they're fucking delicious. I, I just want to, I'm going to give a free Sweet Lauren's plug on this podcast. That you'll see them in the <laughs> freezer aisle next to Pillsbury and all that. They are unbelievably good. You'd never know there was no gluten in those things. Where are you guys on spaghetti squash? Ever had spaghetti oh, I squash? Love I love spaghetti squash. Spaghetti Come on. Squash. I like it more than actual spaghetti noodles. I'm, I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I love a good spaghetti squash. I do. I love regular spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I actually like it more, but I do enjoy it. I feel like spaghetti squash for me is like I'm being too good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. That's why you go really bad with the sauce. I mean, you, you just go. like really fatten that sauce up. And it gives me an excuse to do like what every 12-year-old wants to do, which is pour a whole bag of cheese on top of it. Because I'm like, oh, the noodles are healthy. <laughs> what about zucchini noodles or zoodles as some people call them? Eh, I've never had, I've never had eh, zucchini so they're, they're okay. They're all right. You can make them good. But, you know, we're, we're talking about The Simpsons, I guess. I can talk, oh, I yeah. can talk all about lasagna. I'm, I'm, I'll get sidetracked here. You know who would um, love that gluten-free lasagna is Doug Peterson, the troubled <laughs> coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, can't seem to catch a break in the football uh. arena. <laughs> I really wish there was someone that had a hybrid Jaguars food podcast. That would be that'd be unbelievable. I'm, I'm, putting, I'm putting it on the list. Don't get it. Don't get it twisted. Uh, Patreon exclusive episode for Jaguar barbecue fans or whatever. They, I mean, there's got to be something out there. What are the Jacksonville local food specialties? Um, there's like nothing in particular. It's like such a melting pot culturally. There's like not really anything that I can think of that's specific to Jacksonville. Um, you got I mean, Dole Whip in Florida, though. I was gonna say we do got Dole Whip down here. They do love Dole Whip in Florida. You got a lot of like, what is it like? There's a type of Central American food in Tampa. I grew up in Mississippi instead of Florida, and and the thing that I grew up eating that I always talk about that people always think is funny until they try it is you take warm cornbread and you pour milk over it in a glass and you eat it with a spoon. I would do that. It's delicious. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> More savory. Yeah, so it's like, you know, a really good cornbread to me rides the line between sweet and savory. So you get that with like some milk. Um, and it's even it's even really good with like oat milk. I've done it with the uh, non-dairy milks as well. It's delicious. One of my favorite things. All right. I'm okay. skeptical. I'm skeptical. I've, tr- I've tried to bully Bill Oakley into trying it multiple times. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll try it. And then he never tries it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I will I will say this. I want to talk a little bit about continuity. And I, I'm definitely going to okay. encourage All right, you. All right, here we go. I'm going to encourage you to uh, to definitely do that TED talk about show running because I think people underestimate uh, just how much goes into that. I mean, you you really are like, you know, I remember I asked Al Jean a similar question and he was like, you know, you're responsible for all these little things that no one else is responsible for. And so I definitely I think I think there needs to be a whole podcast about show running. But when we're talking continuity, 
Why do you think people are so obsessed with it, Matt? Why is it something that people cannot let go, uh, even when it comes to a show like The Simpsons? Why are people so obsessed with it? Well, I think our fan base is a, a lot of them are really smart people. And, the, the, and like the intelligent mind wants to create order out of chaos, you know? And so they want, they feel proud justifiably proud that they remember all these things about the show and they want them to, to, to be like one story. And I think it's like the Simpsons has always catered to smart people. I like to think, and sure. you know, it's a show, but like there was always literary references and, you know, obscure artistic references and weirdo things. Like we don't really hold back and worry if everyone's going to know what we're talking about. And so, you know, when you cater to that type of person who are great people, I feel like, you know, it feels like they're, maybe they, they feel like it's out of control or it feels chaotic when not everything kind of lines up perfectly. You know, Sarah Wiggum used to talk a certain way and <laughs> now she has a slightly different personality. Sure. Also, I mean, isn't the reason most people fell in love with the show, the great joke where Homer says, it's, you know, this is a cartoon. Things don't have to be realistic. And another Homer walks by out the window. I mean, isn't that, right. isn't that part of the DNA of the show? I mean, Man. if you like that joke, you ha- on some level, you have to embrace the ambition for a silly, self-aware continuity. Or you don't have to. You know what? <laughs> if you watch the show, don't watch the show, love the show, hate the show, I want you to find peace in your life. <laughs> well, let, let me say that. Well, okay, <laughs> so so this is what I will say. Um, anyone, you know, everyone listening to this podcast right now, anyone that follows me on Instagram, that knows my collection, that knows my voice, that knows the things that irritate me, I have been fighting the good fight for, I would argue at this point, two decades. Uh, that no matter what you think of The Simpsons beyond like a certain point, um, you're just buying into the conventional wisdom. You're you're believing that, oh, there's like a hard cutoff, uh, and after this part, after this point, things get a certain way, and this happens, and that happens, whatever. You can you can believe that. That's totally okay. But to expect every episode of a show to make you feel the way it felt when you were like 10, 11 years old, or to expect every kind of joke to always have the same sort of you know weight to it, or for things to feel a certain way for your entire life and never go through any sort of shift or change. To me, that is like, you're already setting yourself up for, for nonsense. Like that's never going to work. So I, I have built this podcast and sort of, you know, I almost said I've built my personality on it. I don't know if that's true, but I have made it a point to often talk about how a lot of what people think about the show is incorrect. And one of the things that I think people focus on too much is the continuity. Uh, and it's because they act like playing with the continuity somehow undoes uh, the, the episodes they love. And I just think that that is silly. And I try to convince people not to do it. I'm happy to say I've converted some people. Hey, trying to convert people to other ideas on the internet is a very frustrating task. So it's hard. <laughs> you for that. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm fighting the good fight. A lot of people just love to say that it makes them happy to say that The Simpsons has retconned episodes, right? right. And I've said a million times, I am 100% against the idea of retconning. In no way have we ever tried to say anything didn't happen. And this is the new story. 
this is that's been written over like in the Star Treks and Star Warses of the world. Like we've never done that. Like we've only tried to say these characters have been on TV for 40 years and they <laughs> haven't gotten any older. So let's have fun. Right. Yeah. Oh, and we've obviously there've been, there've definitely been some contradictions, which are not my favorite. Like if a story from the past is then retold differently, I don't love that. Like, I feel like that might've been a screw up on our part, but you know, like if you're, if you're squeezing stuff into the cracks, the scenes you didn't see go bananas. Yeah. go bananas. And obviously the, the timeline goes with that. Correct. So like sometimes Mar Homer and Marge were in high school in the seventies. Sometimes <laughs> Homer was 12 in 1992, but <laughs> they still couldn't also in, the, in another episode be in high school in the seventies again. Like, and sometimes we do cult pop cultural things to lock in what happened in the past. Sure. We don't like, we did this it episode to this other Halloween episode. And that's like, also great. Thank you. In a kind of, deliberately vague except for the nintendo power glove <laughs> Stephen kingy past you know right i really loved seeing the power glove by the way it gave me a swell of nostalgia yeah <laughs> it was good <laughs> we didn't use period music and i'll do a lot of period jokes and it's really the flashback episodes where they cause these problems right right these these allegations of retconning <laughs> and i guess i'm retconner number one from having forced that 90s show into existence yeah, but, but it's but it's fine. Listen, I would also say this, and I like how I'm telling Matt. I'm like, no, don't worry, Matt. You're you're correct. Uh, <laughs> but but the thing is, like, I think that no matter what anyone thinks, those things were ultimately good for the show because I don't think we would be where we are with the show if we didn't. If if you guys hadn't tried things, if you hadn't tried episodes like that '90s show, regardless of how anyone feels about them, you don't have to love it. But I don't think the show would do. You know, an episode we're going to talk about in a, in a few minutes, Lisa the Boy Scout. I don't think we get to places like that unless we did the 90s show. And I want to put Brandon in the hot seat because Brandon, you know, he he watches Modern Simpsons also, but he he doesn't, he hasn't always been as current and he's been watching more and more of them. Brandon, what what is your, you know, what is your, what have your thoughts been as this has gone on for you watching some of the newer episodes? Oh man! You know, tell Matt, I, I tell Matt this, right now, and be and be <laughs> honest. <No. laughs> I, I mentioned this when we were actually doing the uh, the clown stays in the picture. One thing that I really loved seeing, especially as an animation nerd, is um, how the animation style has evolved. I, I love the amount of detail that the animators are able to put into it now. You know, a lot of people get really nostalgic for the squiggly older drawings. I love those too. You can love two things, <laughs> you know. Right. And I love seeing the the way that the animation has evolved and like, it's so crisp every frame. I feel like I could print out and hang on a wall. It's just, it's beautiful, you know? And I, I really liked, um, you know, the, in uh, clown stays in the picture, you kind of have flat, it's a flashback. It jumps into not an alternate timeline, but just a different version of Marge and Homer that we've never really seen before. And I loved it. You know, them in the eighties clothes and all that. It's great. It, it, like, but I don't need all of my, you know, pencils to be perfectly lined up on a table so <laughs> i mean the clown stays in the picture has a really special place in my heart and i don't know that it it really made much of an impact on the world of simpsons fans but it to me like i'd never seen a piece of pop culture that was nostalgically commenting on the kind of high concept era of of movies of like 
a nun who's a ninja, like that, like kind of crazy. <laughs> we'll have a rap song at the end that explains rap it all. Song at the end that explains <laughs> it all, like that. Felt like, wow, this is a real cultural era that I was a part of as a young person in Los Angeles in the early '90s, and you know, reading Premier magazine and thinking, oh my god, this is great, what a world. Not knowing that it would all implode, but uh, that you know, this is a distinct cultural time period that is worth satirizing and holding up in the Simpsons Springfield mirror. And no one had ever done it before that I was aware of that kind of, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson, like just movies are king. And, you know, if you want, you can go pitch, you know, cop and a half in the elevator and you'll admit <laughs> that you'll sell it for $3 million. You know, yeah. we jammed it with every kind of crazy detail about There's so many great freeze frames. I love pausing that episode and just seeing all the little details. So much good stuff in there. The ang- also do an episode about the anxiety that is built in to being creative is which is something that everyone who is creative and not a sociopath feels. <laughs> that when you create something that the worry that it's not good gets in the way of excellence, that gets in the way of decision making. It's it's part of the creative process. It pushes you to great things, but it can also inhibit you. To do a show about that, how people help you and reassure you, that, that's like such a relatable thing to anyone who's like created anything, I hope. Sure. Absolutely. No. I, I felt all of those things watching that episode. Yeah. <laughs> I love those cocaine jokes. They're all those cocaine <laughs> jokes. <They> oh, yeah. Correcting <laughs> powder and crew powder. And so no one good. knows. They don't know it's cocaine. Yeah, that's, that's something we highlighted. It's great. Um, and, and I'll tell you another thing too, like this comes back to, you know, we're, we're talking about continuity and that episode is an actual great example because, you know, that episode plays with the timeline in a sense, but it doesn't undo anything. And I don't feel like it, I don't feel like it ends in a place that makes you feel like anything has changed. And I feel like anyone that has those sort of issues with those types of episodes, maybe they just hate fun. You know, I've said that on this podcast before, if you just hate fun and you're just miserable don't take it out on the simpsons i mean maybe that's part of it if you enjoy watching something that makes you feel anger or hate you're choosing to do that <laughs> on some level you enjoy it yeah because you don't have to watch it i believe the the sheer volume of other uh, other options out there is pretty staggering right but i you know i really when i see someone has written a like 3,000 word screed. A smart person has written a 3,000 word screed who's clearly intelligent and clearly can make a point and clearly has a, a point of view about culture. And they've done it. I'm like, you know, thank you for your, thank you for your bizarro love. You know, <laughs> I, I just can't be mad at that person at all. And I'm complicit for reading it. I don't have to, they don't have to watch the show. I don't have to read what people think of the show, but I, it kind of gives me a kick and it makes me, it entertains me. So I do. It's like, you know, I accidentally did that tweet that made it seem like I didn't realize, like I was, I didn't work on the show. And I didn't know <laughs> that they had done a, speaking of retcon, the ultimate retcon of making Martin Prince and a secret adult in a 21 Jump Street <laughs> style thing all along. He was never a kid. That I was like, wow, The Simpsons is really, this is it. They've lost me forever now. <laughs> that Everyone whole episode is great. Reacted <laughs> as if I was, I just watched it. This was real. And it was not my intent. My intent was 
a very small level of playfulness that did, got completely misinterpreted is fine. And then people were saying, I haven't watched the show in years, but it's terrible. Like, okay. All right. <laughs> well, that, that, I mean, let's get into that. I want to talk about Lisa, the boy scout for that exact reason. Um, so I was trying episode, to do a little segue for you. I was trying to pre-segue it for you. <laughs> I mean, this episode blew me away and I told, you know, for about two days, I was texting anyone I knew who had a casual or, you know, hardcore fandom of the Simpsons or a casual liking of the Simpsons and was like, look, you got to watch this episode. You, you don't need to know anything about it. Just watch it. It's awesome. And, you know, you you said a lot of things. You're talking about this tweet, but all your tweets about it were super funny. I think anyone who read any of those without at least clicking on your profile and realizing you worked on the show, I mean, maybe that's a bigger issue on their part. Uh, but, like, this this thing is is unlike anything. So I want you to sort of break down, like, what was it like pitching this episode with the other writers? What was it like making this thing come together? Where does that one rank in your in your all time uh, experiences on the show? Well, it was it was certainly fun. I'm really good at saying to the staff, "Here's a very vague, crazy idea. Can we do this?" So it kind of started with, "Let's can we do a different version of 22 short films about Springfield?" Right. But not like an interconnected kind of day in the life story, like a different short story delivery vehicle. And in the discussion with the amazing team, it kind of began as like a what if type of thing with the watcher and multiverse. It was kind of like, would we explore little alternate timelines and stuff? That was the beginning of it. But then when we thought of the idea that the show had been taken over by like, cyber terrorists like denial of service type hackers and that they the threat was to ruin disney's ip <laughs> gave us like kind of clarity in how to pitch these little mini ideas of things that like we we don't want to get out that would ruin the show sort of the way maybe people feel that armin tamzarian kind of ruined the show or some people feel that when maude flanders died ruined the show I don't feel that about really either of those things. Nah. Um, but, and everyone, you know, lots of people have their own personal mini ruins. Sure. And I'm sure you guys have things you don't love, but that's cool. Sure. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you, Matt. There's a couple of things, but you know, Hey, I mean, I, <laughs> I love, I love it all, but it's that weird, that thing where the, the Loch Ness monster was like a purple Barney at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I didn't want to say it, Matt, but I, I could, I, if I could take that one off, I, I might take it out, you know? <laughs> like, I don't, I think that was like one of the animators decided it would be funny to make it purple or pink. And there was, you couldn't change it. It was, it wasn't computers back, even computers. It's not free to change the color, but right. with that thing, it was like, Nope, it's going to be pink. Here we go. Uh, anyway, uh, so, and then we had this, Christine Nangle sort of pitched this idea of Martin being the, the cop, undercover cop. And so we started writing little sketches that like really, if we put it in the real show, we really would be no going back. Like the thing where, and then the thing with Marge being Patty's secret daughter. God. I mean, in our, in my mind, Patty had had a teenage affair with Chief Wiggum's dad. That's not in the episode, but. Mm. So I thought of it's canon or continuity or whatever, guys. But hey. in my mind, Marge is, although also Clancy Wiggum does look, excuse me, Clancy Bouvier does look a lot like Clancy Wiggum. It wasn't <laughs> Clarence. 
Clancy is short for Clarence. Clancy Bouvier is return, making a return to the show. Here's a little wow. secret uh, spoiler clue for Wow. I like that. All his dad fans out there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was the kind of genesis was like, let's do things that we, the producers, the owners of the show would never want, never want to get out. And then once we did that, we sort of gave ourselves freedom to just put in some just random wacky little sketches that are just silly sketches, you know, just and a few of- real ones that uh, maybe yeah. you wanted to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, they're just things that like some of our more extreme moments. Although I almost I think where Homer's head is popping out of the toilet, which I think made for a nice little montage. I don't really have any, I mean, that's a great Al show and I have no regrets about that. No, I think that's <laughs> funny. I think that's funny. You know, that show Jaws Wired Shut that I wrote is like pretty crazy. If you watch that one, I, I, I'm fond of it, but. Matt, I'll tell you right now, I, I really like that episode. The only one that I agree with fully that's in that episode and I'm drawing a blank on the name right now because it's so ridiculous is the Tim Long show with the uh the the jockey. Saddlesore Galactica. Saddlesore Galactica. Best Tim, title of titles. Tim, I love you. Tim also been on this podcast. He's great. I think he's so <laughs> funny. Do not love that episode even though it has a perfect mo joke in it. I do love the mo I do love the mo joke where his like where his heart pops out of his chest. That's a great joke. Yeah, yeah. So you know I mean everyone <laughs> loves the jockeys, you know. Every show tries things. I mean, I, I do think it's a funny song, but Oh, it is great title. <laughs> Saddle sword Galactica. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think, I think Lisa, the boy scout, I, you know, I love that the whole, all the, all the stuff revolving around the episode made it seem like it was a sincere story about Lisa becoming a boy scout. Uh, and I do, I do want to give a shout out to, you know, Brian Kelly, Dan Graney, uh, everyone that worked on it. I, I love Dan Graney. One of the funniest and most humble people I've ever met. Uh, and it's just a, it's just a great episode. So everyone who had their hand in it just killed it. Um, yeah, it's really great. It's weird though. Like if we, if that was a real plot, we would have stalled before getting to the boy scout conflict. We would have had like, you know, they would have gone to like the cowboy hat factory first or, you know, would have spent, <laughs> spent the morning with disco stew at brunch or whatever, <laughs> or somehow, Lisa realizing that this is something that mattered to her, not like bang, boom. Were uh, were any of the segments uh, things that you guys kind of picked up off the the writers' room floor? Things that had been pitched and probably, but I don't remember. I know John Frank basically just sent his entire everything he ever thought of. <laughs> <laughs> just sent a note. Just well, and, and you may not be able to comment on this, but there, you know, it it pokes fun at. A lot of internet theories. I mean, you know, Homer in a coma, very similar to a Reddit theory that I've talked about on here before, you know, that a lot of people have talked about the, you know, I want to say the Christmas thing is sort of, it's not exactly, but it's similar to, you know, something Al has said he thought would be a great finale. You know, everything's one big loop. I mean, so you get a little bit of that in there, but I think that's like why it's so great. It's simultaneously celebrates the fans and also kind of gives them a middle finger, which I like. Well, it's a loving, it's a loving middle finger. It's a yeah. loving, beckons them to keep watching the show. <laughs> beckoning middle finger. It's also, it's also like, it's definitely, there's a self-hating element too of like, we've done a lot of crazy stuff and we just got to laugh at the, at the excesses, you know, and know that if any show can reset itself at the beginning of the next episode, it's us. That's what it all comes down to. Like these characters, do not have the psychological memory of every episode that has happened to them. 
or they would not be functioning humans, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, even though right. it did not happen, the characters do not have the psychological memory of every episode that's happened for whatever cosmic reason you want to come up with. Like they don't, otherwise they wouldn't exist. I mean, I guess maybe the Homer that came out of the coma, maybe having had like 32 things happen to him, he could go <laughs> on with his life. Whatever, yeah, the, whatever point he fell into the gorge. Yeah, the show's been on for so long and it's like covered so much territory. Um, is it hard to like bring in new writers and get them up to speed so they're not pitching ideas you've done before or pitching ideas that, you know, maybe have not made it, made the cut before? Well, I think it's okay to pitch ideas that have been done before. It's better to have people that are just thinking of lots of stuff than people who are like going through the thick red book right? The, the th thick red book that is now only half the show. I was going right? to say, it's missing like nine seasons now, so. <laughs> it's thick. Yeah. yeah to look through that book is creatively paralyzing to think of new stuff where walking around the world and saying like, oh, what if they play lacrosse? Oh, we already, did, we already did a lacrosse episode, but that's okay, you know? You have to pitch a lot of things before something gets kind of sticky, something gets sticky and sticks. We have a show coming up in later this month about the big Duff man episode that I'm really, really happy with about Duff man sort of tries to play the like girl dad card to get out of <laughs> jail for being like his kind of sexist behavior. Yeah. And then goes on a road trip with Lisa and Homer to try to reconnect with his daughter. And I think Duff man is so funny and Hank really acts the hell out of this episode and gives him like nuance and character and you know little little turns of phrase and little character performance things that we really tried to leave in and it says he becomes convinced that homer is like the greatest girl dad and we know he's not and so homer trying to maintain this kind of lie that he's a great you know father to lisa and he is good but he's not maybe the, the most great you know attuned to the problems of a sensitive Thoughtful Man, I, I, I got to jump in for one second and say that this is actually something we talk about things that I argue about on the Internet. I, I went nuts over that Billie Eilish meme that was going around where people were like, you know, like, oh, I can't believe they make Homer seem like such a bad dad. And I was like, he literally cried because he had to miss the monster truck rally. Like, he's not a great dad. <laughs> like, he, <laughs> That's like one of his defining characteristics. Yeah, he, like, he's he, a half-assed parent. <laughs> he figures it out and he loves her, but he's, he's kind of an idiot. So, yeah, so, like, I, I think that's also great. Anyway. He's definitely both. Right. And he, yeah, he forgets to be good a lot. <laughs> right. But this one is really fun. I mean, the, I'm just going to tell you a bit I love. That's, it's literally my favorite thing in the whole episode. Please. Duffman is at the airport waiting for his bags at the conveyor belt. And he's just looking at every bag, like not mine, not mine. <laughs> nope, not mine. I, mean, I, I wish we had like three minutes of that to run over the credits. <laughs> I would watch Duff man waiting for his bags. It's so funny. And I, Christine Angle wrote that episode and uh, Tim, Tim Kill ran it, produced it. Tim Long. Oh. Uh, it's really a sweet episode. And uh, I love it. Yeah, no, that I'm sounds so that sounds amazing. Christine is an amazing follow on Twitter, by the way, everybody. She's so funny. Um, really, really need her to come on this podcast. I need I need to reach out, um, Matt. I mean, it's it's one of those things, you know. Like the reason I say I was so excited to to get you on here and how I've wanted to have you on here for a while is like you you know you haven't just been writing on the show and and 
co-show running episodes and running your own room. You haven't just been doing this stuff for a long time. You also, you co-wrote the video games. Like you've had your hand in stuff outside of just the actual show. Like you can't find Simpsons stuff, everybody, without Matt's name on it. So, you know, how, how did you get roped into those projects? How, how did you become so involved in that stuff too? I want to know. Well, we haven't done any videos of like classic, you know, console games for a while. Right. You know, I, at the time I was playing those games, I was either not married or I didn't have kids. And I was <laughs> playing like, I certainly don't play those games anymore. But, you know, maybe it might be a good retirement project. The like there you go. 30 years of amazing video games that have come out. And like, all <laughs> those, like, like the indie games that are like so creative and out there. And then the, the big franchises that I never played. And anyway, that's my reward. I'll be my reward. Yeah. Some great uh, ones. I mean, you, every year you, you'll look, go to a website and be like, the top 20 best indie video games this month. You're like, what? Each one of these is like a lifetime for me to play. Anyway. Yeah, hours and hours and hours per game. 60 hours of gameplay. Yeah, yeah. it's a commitment. I'll figure it out. <laughs> so, you know, no one else really wanted to do them at the time, and I really wanted to do them. And it was, you know, so we did Simpsons Road Rage. Yep. Right? Which is pretty funny. Pretty fun. Similar to Crazy Taxi in a way that lawyers determined to be true. Oh, no, I, I, I couldn't. Uh, ima- I don't. I couldn't imagine <laughs> what you're talking about, Matt. <laughs> but all the dialogue for this Simpsons skateboarding game and this Simpsons wrestling game, which are both pretty weak. Yeah, pretty pretty bad. I'll, I'll be honest, pretty bad. We did Simpsons Hit and Run, which is classic. Who knew? Who knew this thing would become this beloved? Who knew? That's in, like that's insane. Because for us. Grand Theft Auto 3 had just come out. Yeah. Right? And we're like, oh, man, you've got to be able to get out of the car. <laughs> at the time about whether or not the Sims could get out of the car. Won <laughs> that one. And then, you know, it's, a, it, it's kind of a nice little story. And, you know, we didn't get to do everything we wanted. But the fact that it has all this legs and nostalgia and fan base and people want it to be remastered and they want us to make a sequel. Like, yes. I think that would be a hard deal to make, but not for not for me, but for the various other corporate and right communities. But um, I don't know what Disney's video game master plan is. I mean, why they couldn't just remaster it and pop it out? I'm telling you right now, everyone that listens to this podcast, everyone that follows Bard of Darkness, all seventy eight thousand of you, however many it is at this point, hi everybody. They they would buy that video game tomorrow. I, I can promise you that they would buy that game. Everyone that I talk to, I can't go on to I sort of hate Twitter. Everyone knows that. So my, my presence on Twitter is much smaller. Instagram is, is kind of where I live. I cannot post a photo of hit and run without people going, Oh my God, the greatest game ever. You know what I mean? Like there is a definite demand, uh, but way outside of people that follow me that, that want that game. So Disney, come on. If the files, Maybe they don't even have the files anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Probably a big part of it. Who has the who has the whatever whatever a video game is like not the not the disc you bought but the the code with everything in it. Like what is that? Yeah, Brandon, what, what is that called? Brandon knows. <laughs> what is that? I mean, it's it's a collection of code and then assets and all kinds of stuff that has to be compiled into a disc. That game actually has a lot of really deep weird stuff in it. Like if you're walking around just exploring a lot of like third party characters have these insane random conversations. That's mm-hmm. so cool. <laughs> and I don't remember any of them, but I know it's like, 
Ralph Wiggum is talking to Mrs. Lovejoy and like really strange character combos that are deeply buried in that. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's uh it's a good game. That's a great game. And I also I'm a big advocate for the Simpsons game also, which I th- I think gets not enough love. Well, the Simpsons game is tricky. I think for that we they really did not creatively we had very few restrictions in terms of like let's have this game get more super meta let's have Mac Raining be the level boss let's have god be a level boss you know simpsons five finger god let's have guest stars and let's have the game be about games and have it be you know self mocking so i think the writing of it also basically the same plot as uh wreck it ralph which is i'm sure wreck it ralph no disrespect to wreck it ralph but i'm just proud that we're in the same creative arena as wreck it ralph great absolutely and uh you know i i think the gameplay is fun it's fine it's a little constrictive and buggy in my opinion the actual gameplay and that as a writer is very hard to control unless you move to like montreal or wherever they're coding it and live with the coders and learn how to produce code for how into you know how controllers work and how to make a game intuitive and I think I think if hit I think if Hit and Run and Simpsons game were combined into one game, it'd be perfect. Granted, Hit and Run is pretty close to perfect anyway, but there's things that I wish elements of Simpsons game I think would be great with Hit and Run and you I know whatever. Shout out to the you know Tim Long and Matt Warburton. I know wrote Hit and Run, and I know they also wrote um, Jeff Poliquin, a great writer who used to write on the show, is um, also wrote a lot of the most funny stuff in Simpsons game. And, you know, and then I kind of retired after that. <laughs> occasionally wrote episodes of Simpsons tapped out, which I'm also very proud, although I think Stuart Burns, I would consider to be the showrunner of that enterprise. Yeah, people people still love that game. I mean, I, I think that game, I've said this before, I think it's responsible for getting some people back into The Simpsons. That game was a huge deal to me when it came out. I was still into the show, but I knew a lot of people that they their interest to come back to watching the show was from that game. So that, that also is worth mentioning for sure. I mean, they're still making it. It's, I mean, yeah. I'm out. I'm out. They're still making it. I didn't realize. Oh, that. it's huge. Awesome. Still, I follow I I, some people. That. I talked to some people that are really, really into it. <laughs> oh man. I'm going to go download it. Right. I would like to talking. see, I should go online and see how big it's gotten. Cause I don't know, but it must be so massive. I, I think that thing has made more money than any Simpsons game has has made an unbelievable amount of money yeah like that has been the secret because the whales those donut buying whales have spent so much i mean that might secretly be the second most profitable thing of the entire show i i would not be surprised to hear that i mean even in the early days when i was still playing i spent a lot of money on it i'm not gonna lie (laughs) i think the (laughs) economics of it have probably altered we're now it's a little cheaper to play, probably. I, yeah, probably. I mean, the whole thing of that game was just like, hey, let's just rip off that Smurfs game where the Smurfs have... That's all we said. Yeah. Well, what are we doing here? Like, why think of a new game and we can just do the Smurf village? Like, Springfield's a village. Just do the Smurfs. And then, I mean, again, if I bet the assets for all the side levels that you can't even access anymore because they were, like, seasonal don't even exist anymore. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I mean, who knows? I mean, my, my Springfield... I, at one point, this is what I'll say, and then we'll, we'll move on because I don't want to keep mad all night. But at one point, my Springfield was the biggest it could be. It was before they expanded the game. And I had all of the 
available land accounted Whoa. for. And I gave every business a parking lot. I made Burns's manor just the most insane thing you've ever seen. I used to I used to think that game was like the most fun thing on the planet. I just don't have time for that anymore. It's been around forever now. Still exists. I ran into the people that are currently running it at the premiere party, and I was like, let's not let's not sunset this thing. That's what they call it when they <laughs> sunsetting, right? Brandon, that accurate? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Keep it going at 4 p.m. Keep it going. Keep it going. Um, well, Matt, I want to ask you, you know, because the first time I met you, and I, I'm sure you remember this, was on a Zoom call for the the Digital Comic Con in 2020. Um, right. And I know that you showed like some animation cells and, and things like that when you were doing that. And obviously people, most people that know me on the internet, it's because I have a collection and things like that. And I'm just curious, like, you know, outside of the plushes in your office and stuff, what's your relationship to the merchandise do you do you keep anything at the house do you have much simpson stuff i had to use willpower not to like turn into you <laughs> and my wife would not be down with that yeah um, mine, mine barely is you just have to work on it you know you know i have some neat stuff i'm not a big collector i have like maybe like 20 random cells the, the best ones of which being troy mcclure singing the, from the, in the musical Amazing. And also Itchy and Scratchy cutting off Hitler's head. Oh, God. I'm so jealous of that one. Those two are like probably the crown jewels of the collection. And I probably have a bunch of other ones that I scooped up over the years. Yeah. If, um, if, if, if you decide you don't want any of those other ones, Matt, I can, I can shoot you my address. It's no big deal. I was in my parents' house the other day when I was in Boston, flying back, watching Bull Durham and Ghost Brothers Afterlife. My dad has the one of Homer Homer Mooney, Mr. Burns at the office. Oh my God. Rosebud. That's awesome. And then also the one of Bart wearing a hat that says Time for Chili. I found that in my old room. Man. Oh, time for Chili. That's good. And so then, and I, and I, but the thing I probably like the most is a, a giant duffel bag that I don't know where it is, but really hope no one threw it away of all the bootleg and strange t-shirts we've accumulated over the years that are not the ones you would sell, but the ones that we kind of made for the show or strange bootlegs. So Love someday that. I plan to get a t-shirt quilt, assuming I didn't lose that duffel bag. <laughs> I'll have to contribute a couple to that, Matt. I'd be honored to contribute a couple. Oh, I love to the t-shirts. You see the t-shirt for the it, the it t-shirt we have, right? You must have seen that. It's yeah, it's pretty great. Part of me is like, like that's drawn by Julius also. Like, if you just put that on a website and said, buy this for $50. Yeah. No, I don't get the money. <laughs> <laughs> People would buy that, that crusty clown face would be a hundred percent super seller. Yeah. Without it's a doubt. It's so hard to sell a good idea sometimes. <laughs> right. Seems like it seems kind of easy. I don't know, but I thought that, you know, we did that, that contest with the fan art for the end of the it episode, yeah. right? which is really fun to do stuff with the fans. I really like engaging with the fans who have the YouTube pages, like people who are really obsessing about the show in a new way. I, I want to like reward that. And I thought that would be super easy. Just here's a, here's a, well, we'll send you a, a release. You send us a JPEG. We'll pick the best ones. Yeah. No, there's like federal laws about this stuff, about contests. Like, Oh, Yes. Like if the rest of like if the rest of society was run as efficiently and justly as contest, <laughs> you know, a lot of problems would be solved. Yeah, that's it's like they're not. There is no room for corruption 
in this area. Oh my God. <laughs> so many lawyers were involved in it. That is the most bananas thing. I, cause, cause they I was, are intense. Yeah, I was curious about that because there was like, so, you know, there were some at the end and I was wondering like, you know, how did this whole thing work out? But I want, originally I wanted to do all tattoos, mm. all the most messed up, crusty, scary tattoos. Mm. I guess tattoos, the artist owns them and the skin also owns them. And uh, then once it gets got, it got so messy. So we just, and then I think what we ultimately had better than, I wish we could have included just one or two tattoos in the mix. Yeah. I, I have a pretty funny Simpsons tattoo. I don't know if I've ever mentioned on the podcast. I've got several, but uh, I have a tattoo on my thigh of Jesus or of Homer as Jesus mm-hmm. with a crown of thorns and uh, blood dripping down his face. It's just as weird as everyone thinks it is. <laughs> Pretty cool. I have uh, I have Homer talking to the space coyote from the mystical voyage of Homer on my calves. Right. That's the, that's that the dream, guys, is to, for the modern HG Simpsons to write anything that's tattoo worthy, you know? <laughs> oh, I I mean, you're, you're working on it. I don't, don't, I mean, don't tempt me. I'll get one tomorrow. Um, <laughs> uh, this guy, the guy, the guy at D23 Expo had the, Homer grunge, Homer sadgasm tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. That is pretty sweet. I love like, that. You know, like pickle. Everyone's, That's the dream, right? Pickle Rick. Yeah. Everyone has a lot of pickle Rick tattoos. Like let's get some <laughs> tattoos out there. Warren and I, uh, when we did the, the clown face in the picture, we actually both said that we would get the, uh, the, um, the kids as cactuses as it, that is tattoo worthy. The kids as cactuses is tattoo worthy. That's in the pickle Rick family, uh, right? Of, uh, yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> you, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a commitment right now on this podcast. This is the, <laughs> on Simpsons is greater than you heard it here. First, we got Matt Selman here, Brandon, of course, Brandon, you get, you get one. I get the other. It's happening. I'm getting, I dibs on Lisa. You got Lisa. I'll say, t- I mean, Lisa's my favorite character. Everyone knows that, but I will happily Brandon's smarter than me. So I'll let him get Lisa. I'll get I'll get Bart. Don't sell yourself short, man. Done done deal. It's happening, Matt. So don't you you spoke it into existence. We already talked about it. Perfect. Okay. All right. I'm all for it. There you go. Well, Matt, you know, I I know, you know, I I I could talk to you all night and I say this whenever I have people from the show on, but it's it's true, but so I I don't want to keep you all night. I know you got stuff to do. But, you know, Brandon and I each had sort of like a last question. They ended up being kind of the same question. And really it's what do you think makes the Simpsons special? Well, you know, obviously a lot of, you could list a lot of things, but one of my favorite things that makes it special is what I would say is kind of surprising honesty. When a character on the show can say something that's very true about the world that you haven't really heard phrased that way, but you go, yeah, that is, that is truthful. And a recent quote that I like in that area is Homer talking about talking about the truth. And he's like, oh, well, Marge, you know, the truth is different these days. It's more like a hunch you're willing to die for. You know, which I think, I didn't write that line, but I love it. And I think it's like surprisingly honest and and real. And everyone, no matter who you are and what your belief system is, you can kind of hear that line and, and you're not like, well, well said, Homer, you know, you're not the smartest guy, but you have access to like, to like truth and honesty in your perception of the world. And uh, so that's my off the top of my head answer to that question. I think it's perfect, man. I think it's perfect. Brandon, do you have anything you want to, you want to ask before we close it up? No, man, that just 
It's been great talking to you. Thank you for taking the time to Which talk to great. us. You guys are awesome. I love your energy. Oh, oh, that, that rules, Matt. You're the man. I do want to ask you, do you have any you know, special shout outs or anything that you just want to tell people to check out in particular other than New Simpsons, anything like that before we close it up? No, just keep watching the show on Fox and on Hulu the week after Fox and then on Disney+. Plus. I mean, I love your shout outs to all the great writers in the show and all the great co-runners and the Al Jean, who I, you know, my partner in crime, and I, it's not really crime. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah, some of it's crime. It's fine. My partner in corporate entertainment. Uh, <laughs> and Jim, you know, like Matt and Jim for like supporting us. And honestly, for, to, for this sounds so weak ass shit, but like to Disney and Fox for letting us do what we do and being really supportive of us as corporate overlords, you right. know, they're <laughs> really getting our way. And I think we've rewarded them by doing interesting stuff. So thank you everybody. And I'll, okay. Okay. And the actors and all the production staff, of course, and the musicians and forget the animators, the great animators. Can't forget the animators. Who worked on the show and all the people at Gracie and the great everybody. The great everybody. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, Matt, you're the man. This has been a blast. I, I appreciate okay, it so much. Give me your, um, uh, give me your stuff. Edit, edit this part out where I say I'm bribing. Thank you so much. As for all <laughs> of you, if you have any questions or comments, you can email me at simpsonsisgreat at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, consider leaving me a review on Apple or honestly anywhere that accepts reviews. You can follow the official Instagram account at Simpsons is greater than or on Twitter at Simpsons is great. You can follow Brandon at the Withra on Twitter or Instagram. And if you're curious about me or my Simpsons collection, just search for Bard of Darkness on either one of those things and you will find it. And we'll see everybody later.